I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. I'm Mark Daly and as always I'm joined by my friend and co-host Mark Hamilton. We should just start calling ourselves Mark Squared or something like that. Works for me. It's a Mr. D or Mr. H or something, I don't know, so <laughs> whatever works, but... Welcome back. Here we go. Uh, back for uh, another um, an, another show. It seems I know it's a lot of work, uh, you know, for for the people involved in Formula One. They they don't really like these double and triple headers, and and to extent an extent for podcasters like self, it is a fair amount. Uh, you know, an investment of time, but it's fun. Every time I think about it, it's like I'm not going to complain about something I enjoy doing, especially when there's been so much going on the past. 48, 72 out, 96 out. I mean, basically since last weekend. I mean, it, it hasn't stopped since uh, Bahrain. And I, I'm still trying to get my head around what happened with Roman Grosjean. And, uh, you know, still thank, you know, so thankful that he walked away, uh, you know, unscathed more or less, uh, you know, despite the burns. But just everything that's happened since. I mean, we've had Lewis withdrawing because of a COVID test. We've had Haas announcing their drivers. We've had all sorts of speculation on who's going to sit in for Lewis Hamilton. We've been through all that little drama. There's so many different things going on. It, usually at a time of year in, in, a, in a normal year that you usually don't see too many things, dramatic things happening at, at any rate when you get down to the last couple of races of the season, especially in a year when the championship has already been decided like it has been, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But boy, I mean, I, I, I had to sit down and <laughs> kind of really sit back and try and digest everything that's happened this week because it, it's been crazy. You know, you and I were talking last Thursday, and I'll be honest, I was... I was really struggling to understand how we were going to entertain the listeners over the last couple of weeks of the season. You know, the oh, championship yeah, yeah. was decided, the constructors was decided, what are we going to talk about? And there's been so much. So the Roman situation, you know what, um, ideally that never happened, but obviously it uh, initiated a great deal of conversation mm-hmm. and debate. So that was great. But to your point, it's everything that's happened this season. And, and honestly, you know, by Monday, Tuesday, uh, Formula One Twitter and Formula One Reddit were absolutely on fire. And I'll be honest, I don't think anything stimulates conversation on the Formula One internet more than it does debate about who should get what seat and who should be driving <laughs> for what team. And, you know, you and I talked about this a lot, but ultimately Mercedes has won seven of the last driver's titles, seven of the last constructor's titles. There's not a ton to talk about in terms of championship competitiveness, but it's really exciting to talk about who's going to get which seat and who's going to re- replace which driver. And that that whole sport of speculation and debate is, is so great. And yeah. And honestly, I had so much fun this week just kind of 
going through the Twitter comments and going through the Reddit comments to get a sense of, hey, how are people interpreting these moves and these decisions? And I think one of the things that was most fun was just the debate and the conversation about who should have the opportunity to get that Mercedes seat for presumably what's going to be the last two races, probably not just this race weekend, but probably the last two races based on some quarantine issues that Lewis is going to face if he wants to go into the UAE. But ultimately, this week was a blast. It was so much fun. My head is still spinning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to get a gri- kind of a gri- grip on what the the, 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 the lineup is going to look like this week, but what it's going to look like in Australia next spring. It's been it's been an exciting week, and I have lots of thoughts. Well, you know, it's, it's so funny. If you dial it back uh, to the end of last year, you know, we, we get to Abu Dhabi and you had the big uh, drivers like all the big teams were basically up for grabs you had Seb Vettel out of a contract like what's happening with Charles what's happening with Max what's happening with Lewis and we just assume that Valtteri Bottas is just going to get another rolling one-year deal at Mercedes because exactly that just seems to be the way that uh, that that life works for Valtteri Bottas and then you know you, you had Charles sign that multi-year deal then you had Max and then well Bottas got his one-year deal well that that was more towards uh, the, the the season Lewis that's still up in the air and it, and it was funny because you had Christian Horner talking at the time saying that, well, by the time that it, it, it all sort of works itself out, he he said back then, I basically expect to see status quo within the, the, the top three teams. I mean, boy, was 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 he wrong? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't think we, we really expected to see Sebastian Vettel go away. And I don't think anybody expected to see Carlos Sainz. All these sorts of things in, in what basically seemed like it would wasn't going to be like a, a very silly, silly season, you know, when, when you get like all this drama around the the, the the drivers moving around, but especially now, and even it's a, just sort of a temporary situation, just sort of like triggered by, you know, Grosjean and his accident, just the fact that, you know, he's just not healthy to, to drive right now. And then you have Lewis with his uh, positive COVID test and all these things. It's just like, just when you don't think, or when you think that uh, 2020 can't get any weirder, uh, you know, and, and let's just face it. I mean, Formula One problems are very low down on the list of, uh, you know, greater problems that, uh, you know, humanity's facing as a whole right now. But just in general, the weirdness that 2020 has been, it just, uh, it keeps getting stranger because especially with Lewis, he's the last person I honestly expected to, uh, to get a return of a positive COVID test because he seems to have really tried to fly under the radar, really do everything responsible. I mean, we, we, there was all that, uh, you know, bit of a controversy back at the beginning of the summer with Charles and Valtteri going back to Monaco after the the Austrian Grand Prix and kind of getting outside of the the the, the bubble and then there was you know Seb Vettel that got you know he got a bit of a slap on the wrist too because you know he was seen congregating with other you know team you know team uh, personnel I think uh, I think from Red Bull which you kind of expect because you know he's he's got those connections yeah but this is in the pit lane so you know you, you could kind of see those sorts of things uh, you know maybe to an extent that maybe somebody else would have because i mean lewis he hasn't been staying in hotels he's been staying in his motorhome he's really tried to do his best you know doing zoom meetings with for, for the team and stuff like that so i mean that was really shocking but you know it, it really kicked off a, a, a lot of drama and you know was, i thought it was kind of interesting some of the uh you know debates and some of the comments that were going around on our twitter because uh, you put that poll out there who do you expect to see as uh as reserve driver and you had uh, Nico Hulkenberg, which that's sort of a, uh, you know, almost the default, uh, you know, choice just based <laughs> on the way that he's slotted in there a couple of times, even though there's no, you know, uh, you know con- connection, uh, you know, presently with the Mercedes. And then uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, Mercedes driver in Formula E and also former McLaren driver. And then George Russell. And then 
you know, I think some of the replies were like, oh, come on, it's going to be Stoff because he's the official reserve driver and all that. But, you know, I wasn't actually all that shocked to see that they decided to to, to put George Russell in that car. And again, you know, you switch him uh, out of the, uh, the, the, the Williams into Mercedes for this weekend. Now you get Jad Aitken coming in to, to take his seat at Williams. So it just kind of makes everything, all these different moving parts is absolutely fascinating at the moment. The the George Russell thing is interesting because a, a lot of the conversation on, I guess, F1 Twitter and F1 Reddit was about the fact that really Mercedes should default to their test slash reserve driver yeah. in Stoffel Van Dorn. And, and let's be fair, Stoffel raced for McLaren at a difficult time for that team. They were struggling with the Honda power unit. He was paired with Fernando Alonso. So the, uh, let's be honest, there probably wasn't a lot of mentorship or tutelage <laughs> there. And, and he still raced admirably for that team. And he cashed in on a, a number of different points finishes. Um, ultimately, I think he's a very capable driver whose career probably would have been different in different circumstances. But yeah. I, I think for Mercedes, that Stoffel Van Dorn isn't their future. They have no intention of, in a million years, giving him a full-time race seat. And, and I think there's still conversation. And obviously, I, I think most of the listeners to this show understand that George Russell is ultimately a, a Mercedes product, and he's a Mercedes driver who's effectively on loan to one of their partner teams in Williams. And and I think for them, if they want to get a gauge on where he is from a development perspective, they have to give him this opportunity. Because the challenge with him being in a Williams seat full-time is the car is so uncompetitive, it's really difficult to understand where he is in his own personal development track. Mm -hmm. And I mean, ultimately, I I think we can appreciate that he outqualified his teammates every race last year and every race this year. But I don't know if that's necessarily saying a lot. But because the car is so uncompetitive, it's really difficult to understand where he is development-wise. And I think for Mercedes, if he's a potential prospect to potentially fill in for Lewis Hamilton on a permanent basis in two or three or four years, or likewise potentially Valtteri Bottas, they need to understand where he is. Because if they put him in this race seat for one or two races and he's not competitive and he makes some brutal mistakes, or even worse, potentially, he doesn't make mistakes and he just doesn't have the pace, then you know what? That's going to really help them understand and start mapping out their next three to four to five years from a driver development perspective. So I think for them, it was a a no-brainer, but it was surprising to me how many people rallied to the cause of Stoffel. And Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Like Nico, it's fun to put Nico out there. He he had a great couple of great opportunities with, with Racing Point this year, but I think George Russell makes a lot of sense both in the short term and the long term for Mercedes. And I think the other thing that's really interesting, and my, my buddy Randy was messaging this to me, it it really puts Valtteri on the hot seat the next two yes, race it does. weekends, yep. right? Like, ultimately, this is a guy that's been driving this car for four seasons. He's very familiar with it. He spends a significant amount of time with the engineers and the architects of that platform and that power unit. If he goes out and he can't outrace George Russell, I don't know what that says about his future as well. And and the other thing that you and I talked about as well is that there's also pressure on Valtteri because I think from a Mercedes perspective, there's an expectation that he's going to finish ahead of Max in the driver's standings. And it's close right now, and there's no guarantee that's necessarily going to happen. So I think for Valtteri, there's a lot of pressure on him the next two race weekends. One, because he needs to make sure that he finishes ahead of Max in the standings, but also he needs to make sure that he significantly outraces George Russell because Whether we like it or not, George Russell might be gunning for his seat 
Well, there, there's a number of interesting points that uh, that, that you mentioned uh, there just now, Mark. And uh, first of all, let, let's talk about um, the, where you left off there with uh, with Valtteri Bottas. I 100% agree that he is under pressure at the moment because we, we all know where he is so, so in comparison to his teammate, but also that uh, he seems to be closer in terms of pace to Max Verstappen in a more superior car than he is to his Absolutely. own teammate Absolutely. in many times. And I think it's very telling that uh, over the past four seasons, since he came into that team in, in between 2016 and 2017, or 2017, pardon me, that he's always had this sort of this one year rolling deal. And I, I think that says a lot, uh, dis- despite what Total Wolf and uh, you know uh, other of the uh, you know the, the higher ups at Mercedes have said about uh, Valtteri Bottas publicly in the press over the, the o- over the years. I think that that says a lot uh, that they're just not willing to commit even to say two years plus an option or something like that. But it's just like a one year plus an option, even if they give him that. So I think that is is, is very fascinating. And I th- what what is it? They're ten, twelve, eleven points, something like that that separates him. And, uh, and and Max Verstappen. Now, if if uh, Valtteri goes out and has uh, two poor weekends at uh, in Bahrain this weekend, and then at Abu Dhabi to 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 wrap this season up, you know that that is a very doable and and a very reasonable gla- gap for Max Verstappen to close. So that that's very interesting. And, and Valtteri also just uh, was mentioning it himself the, this week that uh, he was saying, uh, you know, I'm sort of parsing and paraphrasing here, that uh, it would be very bad if he's outperformed uh, by by George Russell this weekend. And I, I 100% see the logic in putting George into that Mercedes this weekend, rather than keeping him at, uh, at, uh, at Williams, and then just putting Stoffel in. And I feel sorry for Stoffel, because I think he was the right guy at the right time, or he was at the right point in his career to to get into Formula One way back in 2016, whenever it was he first uh, started up. But he just ended up with the wrong team. He was um, at uh, McLaren when they were at their yeah. nadir, and you know their uh, Honda was still way behind on the engine development curve uh, curve with the with, with the hybrid engines. Because I mean, remember when uh, when uh, when Alonso had his huge shunt in um, uh, Melbourne? Was that in 2016? It must have been 20, 20, was, it, was, was it was it 2015? Beginning of 2015 or 16? I, I yeah. can't remember. It kind of blurs. But uh, anyways, he missed. Uh, he, he after that accident, he missed Bahrain. Which was, I think, it was even two weeks after the 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 Australian Grand Prix. He wasn't cleared to race, so Stoffel comes in for that, uh, you know, for, to, to 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 fill in for him. And on his F one debut, he scores a single point in P ten, which I thought, you know, was very very impressive. Unfortunately, that's almost kind of where he peaked at McLaren and not necessarily through his own, his own fault. I mean, you know, like I say, I mean, there was a lot of struggles they were having with the power unit, with the car. And, you know, he just uh, wasn't, uh, you know, really able to stick around long enough to get, you know, before Zach Brown got that ship uh, turned around. So you can understand, you know, like why he made the move to Formula E and getting into the Mercedes Formula E program. You know, that's, that's a good place for him to be. But when it comes to, even though the fact that he is the test and the reserve driver for me, Mercedes, like you say, it says a lot that uh, you know they're they're not uh, willing to you know put him into the car for these kind of couple of races, and it really doesn't look like he's going to get a shot uh, again with them in Formula One. But again, you got to take it from the you know look at it from from the bigger picture. To me, Stoffel Van Dorn is already a known quantity. We we've seen him in a couple of uh, you know seasons in Formula One. We kind of know what he's all about. But like you were saying about uh, about George Russell, here we go, young driver. He's been in you know which is 
is without question the worst car in Formula One for the past uh, several seasons. And, uh, and we're not sort of talking like Mercedes to Red Bull kind of like a gap in performance. We're talking, you know, several seconds a lap deficit compared to the rest of the field. So it, it is the perfect opportunity, like you say, to take a guy like George Russell, take him out of Williams, even, I mean, take the whole Williams story and, you know, wh- where they go from here. That's that's a completely different tangent. But, you know, take him out of that car, put him into Lewis's car for this race and the next race, if that's what, what it takes. And then you should get a really good, uh, you know, a, a really good indication of where this guy is, because it, it's a little bit kind of hard to compare him to, to, to Nick Latifi at the moment, because Nick, young driver as well, first year in Formula One. Also, you know, driving in a car that isn't the greatest and driving in a car that isn't designed for him. So, I mean, he's got a lot of things that uh, are kind of stacked against him. So you you can kind of understand why there would be some differences between them. But I don't want to, you know, take away from what George Russell has done, especially getting that very uncompetitive Williams into Q2 regularly throughout the season, I think is, is, is very, very impressive. But now you have the perfect opportunity, like to say, like you said, Mark, is to take their, your, your prospect, this, this, this young driver, put him in the, you know, in, in the big team and let, let's see how he goes. And again, just like, uh, whereas, uh, you know, uh, Bottas is under pressure from Max Verstappen. You know, he, he's got some, he's going to be looking over his shoulder on the other side too at, uh, at, uh, at George Russell over the next, uh, you know, week or possibly a couple of weeks here to make sure that uh, he doesn't uh, get outperformed, uh, you know, by, by the, the young whippersnapper, as it were. Yeah, I I really agree with, uh, I think, every single point you made. And I, I think the other thing to consider here as well is, I think ultimately, I don't think George Russell is happy at Williams. I, I think he's in a, a complicated position because he's a Mercedes driver. He's been a part of their academy, but ultimately there there hasn't been an opportunity for him at the Mercedes side. Now, that said, I, I think Williams is happy to have him. I think they are ecstatic that he's a part of the team. I, I think they're excited that he's going to be a part of their team next year. But I think ultimately, if they were to have blocked this move, if Mercedes came to Williams and said, look, we need we need this guy on loan for a race or two races, yep. and Williams intervened, I think that would permanently destroy that relationship. And I think likewise, if Mercedes hadn't gone to Williams and asked for Russell, I think that would have caused a great deal of strain on the relationship between Russell and Williams, because I think I think Williams is looking at this sit or Russell is looking at the situation with Williams and I think he's struggling to understand why Bottas has that seat and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Bottas and to be fair to Bottas, I, I don't think I don't think Mercedes brought him over from Williams for the twenty seventeen se- or twenty seventeen season with any expectation or desire that he would compete for the driver's title. I think they were in a situation where they had the best driver in the championship. They wanted to create an environment where he could flourish, but they also wanted to make sure that they were also a lock for the constructors type championship. And I I think for Russell at this point, I think he's probably starting to look at the situation and say, look, I'm wasting away at this team. Like I put in 40 races for Williams. I'm going to put in another 60 races next year. When is this going to end for me? And I think it's interesting. And you keep stressing the fact that 
Mercedes doesn't want to commit anything more to Valtteri Bottas than these one-year deals. And I think this is partly it. And and I really think that if Russell excels over the next couple of race weekends, um, I, I think this is really going to help predetermine what the next two or three years is going to look like for Mercedes from a strategy perspective. I, I think the other thing to add quickly, and I just want to touch on this one last time, but hashtag humble brag, but my wife and I were at the Williams factory in September of 2016. And all of the buzz in that factory, because it wasn't clear who was going to be racing for that team the next year. They knew at that point that Felipe Massa was going to be finished. So he'd already announced his retirement and they were trying to understand who they were going to pair Valtteri Bottas with. But all of the buzz in the factory was around Stoffel Van Dorn. That mm-hmm. this is the guy they wanted. This is the guy that they had identified as the next up and coming bona fide superstar. Now, in hindsight, because I kept mentioning Lance Stroll, like, what about Lance? What about Lance? He's being linked to this team in the media. I think a lot of what they were saying at the time was smokescreen. Like, Ultimately, I think on the factory floor, they probably wanted Stoffel Van Dorn because they possibly saw more capability and potential in him than maybe they did in Lance. But ultimately, I think from an executive level, it always made more sense to bring in Lance because he was going to bring in some significant investment with mm. him from his his father. But yeah, I, I think you're right. Stoffel was the right guy at the wrong team, wrong time for the wrong team. But I think in this situation, it just makes sense that it's going to be Russell going to Mercedes. And I cannot wait. And this is a car he's tested before. I cannot wait to see what he looks like in free practice one. And I don't put a ton of stock into free practice one or free practice two, but come Friday, I'm going to be all over it because I want to <laughs> see what his times look like. And I want to see how quickly he can start putting down some competitive laps. Because again, if he has a soft weekend and he has a soft weekend on Abu Dhabi, assuming that he gets that drive again, I think it's also going to say a lot about what his future is going to look like. Absolutely. All right, uh, time for a quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. Still lots and lots and lots of things to talk about. We've barely scratched the surface about, uh, you know, of all the things on our list. So hang around, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And uh, we're talking, well, we're talking Formula One, obviously. And Mark, where do we go from here? We've uh, we've been talking about uh, Lewis testing positive for COVID. We've talked about the whole, uh, uh, the, the whole 
what do you want to call it? Saga, mini saga, drama, I guess, uh, with the getting uh, George Russell into the car. Uh, why don't we talk now? Because, of course, there is a lot been said uh, since uh, the, the, the Bahrain Grand Prix last week about uh, Roman Grosjean and his nasty, nasty, frightening accident. Uh, fortunately, uh, Roma is uh, now out of hospital. He's, uh, you know, had uh, burns on the back of his hands. Uh, I mean, uh, just frightening. I mean, he, the, 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 the final numbers on his accident, he hit the barrier at 137 miles an hour and the impact force of when he hit that uh, that armco was more than 50 g's i mean 50 times the force of uh you know regular force of gra- gravity i mean that is just absolutely stunning i mean uh, fortunately no uh, fractures or anything else uh, like that i mean the, the the safety devices on that car really did so what they were intended to do and, and great to see him you know back on his feet and uh, just with the you know with the burns on his hand which is a uh, you know i mean that's literally best case uh, scenario uh so uh, roman was saying uh, now that he's not necessarily going to rush back to get in the car uh for abu dhabi in a couple of uh, weeks uh you know because uh, it's it's really up to uh, how his uh, left hand uh, heals over that uh, time because he's got some swelling uh on that hand and it uh, it just has to do with that i mean you know i'll, I'll be perfectly honest and people who've listened to the show for a while will know that I'm not the hugest fan of a Roman Grosjean as a driver but you know certainly I think it's uh, unfortunate that uh, if this is his final race for Haas and possibly his final race in Formula One it's kind of sad that you know his, his his career at least with the team if not in Formula One might actually be that first lap of uh, of the Bahrain Grand Prix. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I've not never been a huge advocate of Roman Grosjean. And I was I was very vocal about my surprise when the Haas team elected to bring him back for 2020. But all of that said, you know what, this is, it's heartbreaking in a way that he doesn't necessarily get to go out the way he would like to go out. And yeah. I think yeah. whether it's a competitive finish or a points finish, I, I just think ideally you finish your career in control of the car, bringing it across that finish line. And I think for him, you know what, his perspective may be completely different. Like, hey, alternatively, my career could have ended very, very differently. And mm-hmm. I'm happy that this is the way ultimately it ended. And thank goodness for the halo. You know, what? I'm, <laughs> I'm awesome. I'm going to go back to France. I'm going to do media. I'm going to do all sorts of other kind of stuff. Because the other thing that's really interesting that came out over the last week or so is his personality. And his personality really seemed to glow. And, you know, he was really, really, really upbeat when he was being interviewed and the photos of him in the hospital and the social media posts and and the interviews that he was doing on French TV and with the Formula One press. Like, from a personality perspective, there's a lot more there than I thought it was. But I, absolutely, I, I was really, really heartbroken that this is the way his career could end. Yeah. But at the same time, he has his health. It could have been much, much worse. Um, and now he can pursue other racing if he wants to. He can go into Formula E. He can look at... Um, uh, he can look at DTM, all these different options. Obviously, he's not necessarily a young driver, but I think somebody with as much Formula One pedigree as he has will open a lot of boat doors, both in other competitive racing circuits, but also from a media perspective as well. So again, not historically the biggest fan. Surprised they brought him back this year, but ultimately happy that he's got a, a bright future ahead of him outside of Formula One. Yeah, I've, I've always uh, kind of found him, not that I've seen a lot of him out of the car, but uh, when when I have seen him like uh, out of the, uh, with, with the helmet and gloves off and all that, I've, I've thought that he's always had a, uh, you know, a, a bit of, uh, you know, you know, charisma about him. 
but certainly yeah, it, it can't be the the most ideal way to get out of the you know, <laughs> to go out of the sport anyways he has talked a little bit about the um uh, the, the 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 accident the incidents you know uh, that, uh, that 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 he had uh, last weekend and uh, he said that uh, you know he made some you know like you were saying some of the things in in the media he was joking about how his hands looked like Mickey Mouse's hands what with all the bandages on them and things like that uh anyways uh, he, he had to say quote I don't know if the word miracle exists or if it can be used but in any case I would say it wasn't my time to die it felt much longer than 28 seconds I see my visor turning all orange I see the flames on the left side of the car I thought about a lot of things including Nikki Lauda I thought that it wasn't possible to end up like that not now I couldn't finish my story in Formula One like that and then for my children I told myself that I had to get out I put my hands in the fire so I clearly felt the burning on the chassis I got out and then I felt uh, someone pulling on the suit so I knew I was out End quote. So, I mean, that is uh, some you know, pretty frightening stuff, uh, you know, that he that that he related there, and just uh, you know, just that one uh, brief uh, quote. But you know, it, it's uh, just going back to you know what you know. Uh, even at the risk of rehashing what we talked about in detail just a couple of days ago. I mean, when you see that too, just the, the amount of fire, and especially it depends which angle you're looking from, especially from the, the, the camera that was sort of on the infield, and all of a sudden you sort of see him pop up over the, the, the barrier, and then he's being pulled uh, you know pulled across by the, uh, the, the, the safety personnel. That was something, but... The uh, you know the camera that was on the grandstand side, you saw this sort of this frenetic action of something, and then you see him, and then uh, it was uh, something that uh, we we don't want to see again, uh, obviously uh, anytime soon. And Jean Toad, president of the the FIA and uh, also a former you know team principal at uh, Ferrari, said that uh, he, he called the whole situation about uh, you know the, the the fire scary, and I mean there is no other real word uh, you th- that you can use to uh, d- describe the situation uh, because we all know about the history in Formula One. We all know in, in decades gone past just how dangerous the sport was and for, you know, especially you know, in the 70s, 60s and before, I mean, it was not unusual to have drivers over the course of the season, you know, grievously injured and seriously injured or even to, to, to lose their lives in, in, in several instances over the course of a year. I mean, you know, fortunately, fast forward uh, several decades, and I mean the you know the 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 technology, the materials, and the the safety innovations that have built into Formula One really have made all the uh, all, all the difference. I mean, we've we've seen the halo prove its worth uh, several times since its introduction a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, the the thing that was frightening about that was, I mean, it was one thing when you saw that first lap when they they'd actually switched the camera from a production point down to the end of that straightaway. You saw the fields are coming down uh, towards that uh, that next corner and you saw one car shoot off across the side of the track i mean we we're all like oh boy who's that but i mean when we saw that big ball of fire i mean my 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 uh, my heart stopped and uh, it was it was it was frightening to see so i mean Obviously, I mean, that was, uh, it, it was an instant stop to go from 137 miles an hour to zero in the, the, the blink of an eye. And of course, there was going to be, you know, something catastrophic uh, happening. Uh, and, and of course, from the best uh, point of view, it was just the, the, the survival cell separating from the, from the rear part of the car with the engine. But of course, the, you know, the, the, the scary part, like Jean Toad said, was just the, the, the fire itself, that two liters of uh, fuel that was in that collector or whatever. And then, and the, the way that that ignited and 
and then erupted into that huge fireball and and caught fire in the way that it did. I mean, nobody expected to see that happen in a, in a 2020 in a, in a modern Formula One car. Not at all. I was reading a, a really great article that was written by one of the trackside photographers at Bahrain, and he he said that you know he was probably two or three hundred feet away from the impact when it had happened, and his initial instinct was he wanted to run towards it because he wanted to be able to capture not not capture the horror of the moment, but again he's a he's effectively a journalist. He's a photojournalist. He he wants to be there. He wants to understand what's happening, and and he said he got within about a hundred feet of the incident. And he couldn't even get closer because it was like walking into a furnace and he was a hundred feet away. So I I just want to be clear that for those trackside marshals, for the medical staff that were on scene and were feet away from that, from the safety cell, like unbelievable because this, this photographer speaks in fact that I couldn't get closer than a hundred feet because it was like walking into a furnace Mm. and you're absolutely right. It's, It's remarkable that so little fuel could create so much devastation. And the other thing that I've I've seen a number of times, and I think we retweeted it on the Instagram feed, was there's been a couple of folks that have um, engineered a reimagining of what had happened in the moment when the safety cell effectively pierced the two Armco barriers. Mm -hmm. And you can see how the halo effectively lifted the upper Armco barrier up and over Grosjean's head. And what's remarkable about that is... When the FIA and Formula One and Liberty were campaigning and exploring different types of safety hardware options in 2014, 15, and 16, I don't think anyone had ever considered that the halo could be used <laughs> to part Armco barriers to save a driver's life. Like For all the things that it was thought to be able to do, this was never one of them. So no. it's just remarkable that in the moment when it was needed most, in a circumstance where it could never have been engineered, it was the perfect safety solution. Uh, but ultimately, I, I, again, I've probably rewatched it countless times. Um, I, I think it's it's an unbelievable story. But to your point, I, I'm really curious about a couple of things. One, what the ultimate outcome of the investigation is going to be. But two, does this spur or push forward the concept of greater electrification in the sport? And I think you and I have talked about this before. I think from a Liberty perspective, there's a lot of passion to continue with some sort of hybrid arrangement in these cars. I think they speak to the thermal efficiency of what they've been able to build with these um, hybrid power units. But ultimately, maybe this is one of those things that kind of pushes them a little bit closer to electrification long term because, hey, you know, one, it's maybe the right thing to do from a marketing perspective because you look at places like we live and places like Quebec and countries in Western Europe, Europe, there's countries that are outright legislating that only electrical passenger vehicles will be sold in 2030 moving forwards. And Mm -hmm. if I'm Formula One, I look at this, I'm like, does it make sense for me as a Mercedes or Ferrari to be producing a hybrid car for a racing series when the cars that I have to sell to the end user, to the consumer, have to be fully electric? Like maybe this is one of those things, and this is just more speculative because it's nothing I've read, but maybe this is one of those moments that, an inflection point, if you will, that kind of pushes the sport closer towards electrification. And in a sense, it's a shame because I'm obsessed with the current arrangement. I love the 1.6 liter V6 turbo hybrid. I love it. I love the technology, but I also appreciate why for the future and the sustainability of the sport, why maybe they have to look at other options. And what's remarkable about this is we're, what, 30 minutes into this podcast, and we haven't even started to talk about Haas's <laughs> new driver lineup for next year, which on, on any other week would have been the, the leading story, right? 
Well, I, I mean, exactly. I mean, but it is just goes to show you again, just the amount and the magnitude of the, the, the news that has just been coming out uh, oh, ever absolutely. since the last Sunday. I mean, it really has been a week like none other, especially, like I say, at, at this time of the, the, the season when the championships are both done and they're, they're wrapped up, it's all nicely tied up with a bow. And I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> it is just uh, so uh, amazing to talk about these things. But to even just to stick with, and we'll talk about uh, Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher in a while. We're, we're going to get there, obviously. I mean, <laughs> we'd, be, they'll, we'd be Dario, uh, the dereliction of duty if uh, we, we don't talk about that. But, you know, just uh, sticking with, with Grosjean, you know, Danny Ricardo, he's just not letting go of this whole uh, TV uh, replay thing. I mean, he's been very critical about the fact that uh, once uh, Grosjean was, uh, you know, he was rescued, he was okay, that uh, he was very up, uh, upset that the fact uh, that they showed the, the the replay from so many angles and just the numbers of them. So anyways, uh, F1, uh, they, they believe that they, they, they followed all the right uh, protocols showing the replays once they were completely satisfied beyond a doubt that uh, Roman Grosjean was safe, he was uninjured. And uh, they've they've offered to open a dialogue and explain that to uh, Ricardo because uh, he wants to to, to talk uh, uh, about it. But you know, I have to disagree with uh, with uh, with Ricardo. I completely respect and understand his point of view as as a driver. That if you have a big moment like that, that that's maybe not something you want to uh, share, um, especially. You know, I, I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I, I completely get it. But I mean, in the situation when, you know, Grosjean is okay, uh, he's not hurt. And fortunately, nothing, uh, you know, worse than that. I, I, you know, I, I certainly don't have an issue with that. I mean, you know, had something happened to him where he was physically harmed, even to, you know, say he broke both his legs and, you know, there were some, you know, awkward moments or something where they're trying to get him out with the jaws of life or something like that, you know. You know that that certainly lacks a you know lacks taste for you know lack of a better term right so you know honestly I I don't have a you know a problem with it because I mean I I think in this case is different because I remember years ago and you know I'm wearing Michael's uh, hat here when he had his accident at Silverstone about what was it 20 years ago where he ended up breaking his uh, his legs and I remember they were showing some camera angles from like like from way down hangar straight and you, they had like some track workers holding up some tarps and stuff like that and then uh, eventually they just panned away and you never really saw anything more than that and then you never did see anything of him getting out of the car then you know I think at some point you saw an ambulance driving off the track and then eventually a helicopter taking off or something like that if somebody's hurt i think that that that's fine you know and i think that's appropriate you you don't want to see somebody when they're in distress when they're at their most vulnerable that's just not the right thing to do but i think where grosjean's uh, accident is much much different is just the magnitude just the you know the the, the whole entire situation and then all of a sudden he gets out of it and he's for, you know, except for the, you know, the burns that he had on the back of his hands, which we found out about later on. I mean, for all intents and purposes, the guy is okay. And I, I think it's just a very normal and a very human reaction to say, well, that should not have happened. That guy should not have walked away from that car like that. Like, what happened? I, I, I need to see what happened. And, and I honestly don't have a problem with them doing that in that, in that situation where the guy's injuries are, you know, almost best case scenario. And I mean, he's, he's not, you know, grievously injured. He's not bleeding profusely or something like that. So I, I have to respectfully uh, disagree with, uh, with, with Daniel Ricardo on this one. 
I'm really, really mixed on this one, you know, and we talked about this a little bit uh, shortly after it happened because Daniel was very, very quick to voice his displeasure immediately following the race. And to be totally honest, I was pretty surprised he was even aware at that point how much exposure this was getting. I I think you're right. And and you know what? If you look at the F1 broadcast, the race directors did a great job. Uh, Immediately after the crash, they cut away and they showed nothing more until it was clear that he was clear of the scene and that he was healthy and he was standing. So I I respect what they did from a a directing perspective when it came to the actual race. Um, I I think ultimately, obviously, a a lot of viewers were very interested and curious and trying to understand what had happened. And I think ultimately, Formula One had a duty and a responsibility to their viewers to help them understand what had happened, right? Like, ultimately, we understand that Formula One is an incredibly dangerous sport and things can happen. And I think for them to have just excised that from the race and not covered it in a responsible manner would have been, to your point, a, a dereliction of duty when it came to serving the fans of the sport. I think I think ultimately what they did was appropriate. And I think obviously had Grosjean been injured or if the outcome hadn't been favorable, I don't think any of that footage would have seen the light of day. No, and I don't no. think any of us would have challenged that, that it no. was not the appropriate thing to do, but he was healthy. Um, he got out of it okay. Um, it may have been a miracle, whatever the circumstances were, but I think it's important that the fans see this and that we continue to understand and Seeing that also reinforces the danger of the sport that we think that Formula One in 2020 is a fundamentally different place than it was in 1980. The tracks are engineered differently. The cars are engineered differently. The driver suits are differently. The 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 flame resistant materials are different. The helmets are different. Like we, I think we sometimes take for granted that Formula One's just in a much much better place. And fireballs and cars separating was something in the 1980s, the early 1990s. So I think it was also good because it helped reset our calibration just in or re, kind of reset our caliber or I would say probably better calibrated our expectations of how dangerous this sport mm-hmm. can continue to be. I think the one thing that did throw me a little bit is, and I've credited Liberty for this over the past couple of years is that their social media game is much, much better than it has been in the past. And they're really great at cutting and dropping samples and, and scenes and cuts from the races onto Instagram and onto Twitter. I was a little bit uncomfortable with how they were positioning the crash for clicks on social media in a way that seemed a little bit exploitive to me that, you know, this is some, yeah, that this is something that, you know, you usually reserve those drops and those tweets and those Instagram posts and those stories for it's a great overtake or, Hey, you know what? It was a little bit of contact in the corner, but he got through, or it was a DRS zone and like those kind of things. And for them to kind of, that felt a little bit exploitive to me, but ultimately that may have been their social media team. And it may not have been something that, you know, from an executive perspective, they sat down and had a lot of time to conversate about, but ultimately I agree. I think that from a broadcast perspective, the director did the right thing when they when they understood and learned that he was healthy and he'd escaped the scene you had a duty to your viewers to help them understand and break down what had happened yeah absolutely and uh, you, you raised a couple of good points there mark and uh, one of them i think the, the the one thing that sort of popped into my head when you were talking about is despite all the changes and improvements that they made is that they haven't completely sanitized or removed that element of danger it it, it just really ele- you know, it really illustrates how dangerous formula one is despite all the improvements and and all the innovations that have come in over the years anyways a time for another break here on the overtime media network and what, what do you say should we talk about 
about Haas and their new driver lineup after the show, you know, some 40-odd minutes. Can we please? (laughs) I I think we have to, and we'll do so right after the break. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, well, welcome back to the show and uh, welcome to all of you watching also on YouTube. Uh, We're posting all our shows on video. So if podcasts aren't your thing, be sure to head on over to to YouTube and search us up at Scuderia F1 Pod, uh, or I think it's just Scuderia Formula One on YouTube and uh, and check it out. So yes, we've talked about it or (laughs) we've hinted at it quite a bit over the the past 40 minutes or so. Uh, But uh, let's talk about it now. So it has finally been confirmed and Gunther Steiner was saying this uh, not so uh, long ago that uh, that uh, that they would announce their driver lineup for 2021 before the end of the season and I, I guess that maybe the situation with Roman Grosjean definitely being out for Sakir this uh, weekend and possibly for Abu Dhabi in uh, you know in, in a week from now you know I, I think that's really kind of uh, you know forced him to, to play his hand uh, a, a little bit because obviously they need to do something uh, about that as well and of course so the the driver lineup uh, because neither Grosjean or Kevin Magnussen are coming back and that's been a partnership they've had at Haas for a couple of years so obviously those two guys are not coming back for 2021 and they've um, announced a driver pairing of uh, Nikita Mazepin and uh, and Mick Schumacher and of course uh, Mick Schumacher if that name sounds familiar and uh, shame on you if it doesn't because he is the son of seven world time or seven time world champion and uh, the guy whose hat I'm uh, wearing this evening Michael Schumacher and if you said Ralph Schumacher, I mean, you sit down and shake your head. You just got the the, the wrong Schumacher in your mind. But uh, well, I guess Ralph won a couple of uh, you know won a couple of races. But uh, d- definitely there was a, a big uh, separation between the two Schumacher brothers. And I think that ultimately is is going to be very interesting. I mean, Mick has uh, done pretty good in F two over the past couple of years. You know, Ferrari Academy driver, and obviously he has the name uh, that that really and and the pedigree to uh, you know get into that. System. System. But it, it, it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, going from a guy, you know, a pairing of drivers, you know, obviously an extremely, uh, you know, experienced driver, driver Roman Grosjean, and also, a, you know, a somewhat, uh, I'd say, experienced journeyman and Kevin Magnussen, you know, who's not new to Formula One either, you know, being into his mid to late 20s as well. But going, it, it kind of re, re, sort of perpetuates this youth movement that we've seen in Formula One. Over the past couple of years, with your Charles Leclerc's, your Max Verstappen's, your Alex Albon's, and and guys like that, and I, I guess obviously there there must be a couple of things going on there with with Haas. You know, and, uh, Nikita Mazepin is a uh, you know young driver, but uh, you know he's bringing a lot of money with him, which kind of you know that whole pay driver debate kind of uh, rears its ugly head again. And uh, you know, I I think there's you know pros and cons, and uh, you know there's there's a lot of uh, there's there's a lot of back and forth that you can you you can have with that because I mean you could make that argument to a certain extent uh, with, with, with a guy like uh, Checo Perez who has all that Telmex money that, uh, that 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 he brings you know and uh, I mean I mean Checo's a decent Formula One driver don't get me wrong but 
you know, at, at times you can see that. And I mean, we, we've seen that also not, to, you know, it's so far in the past with uh, with our compatriot uh, Lance Stroll. And obviously, you know, you know, with, with his dad's money, obviously helped him get into Formula One. But I always say that, you know, despite the money that you might have, you know, you still have to have some talent because if you're a complete hack that can't even, you know, put their pants on the right way or tie up your shoelaces, even if you have all the money in the world, you're still not going to get into into a Formula One car. In some cases, it might, you know, put you ahead of somebody that might be more talented as a driver than you are that maybe lacks that sponsorship uh, money. So, yeah, I know I, I understand it. But anyways, it's it's going to be a, a, an interesting situation to watch at Haas for 2021. I couldn't agree more with your assessment about the current infusion of young talent in Formula One, and the timing couldn't be better. And not only do we have this unbelievable influx of young talent into Formula One, but from a personality perspective, if you look at George Russell and and Norris and Albon and Latifi and Lance Stroll, these are great kids, whether they're an academy driver or whether they're a pay driver. These are great kids. They're great on social media. They're doing a ton of work to bring a younger demographic graphic into Formula One. And I think the great thing about Mick Schumacher is he fits right into that category of young, talented drivers that are also just great human beings. And I, I think that's one of the things I'm really excited to see. And, and to recap, you know, you spoke to the fact that he's had some success in Formula Two. This is a guy that won the Formula Three European Championship in 2018. He he made the move to F2 last year. And I, I think from a media perspective, that's when a lot of people started paying attention to him. And 2019 by an F2 kind of standard wasn't a really competitive championship not in the sense that somebody ran away with the championship but there wasn't a lot of talent you know 2018 was crazy because you had George Russell and Lando Norris and Alex Albon and Nick DeVries and Nicholas Latifi like it was a really stacked championship in 2018 2019 was a little bit different you had Nick DeVries and you had Nicholas Latifi finishing one two and there wasn't a whole lot of depth beyond that so Mick's first season was maybe a little bit disappointing when he finished 12th he's really rebounded this year and and Formula 2 is a a little bit more competitive than it was the year before so it's nice to see that he's leading the championship Uh, obviously he hasn't won the title yet there's a couple of races left but he's in a really great position to do it and even if he doesn't he's got a, a huge number of podiums this year he has a couple of race wins he's looked very competitive he's been ultra reliable he's only had one retirement he's been great in qualifying he's had a really great season and it's been great to see so not only is it a, a tremendous story for Formula One that we've got this ultra-talented young driver from Germany entering the sport who's got this absolutely unbelievable Formula One lineage, he's also a great guy, and that's really exciting. I think I think the flip side of this is that from a Haas perspective, there's a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde here in the sense that you get this phenomenally talented young driver with this unbelievable lineage, and don't think for a minute that this move wasn't based on the fact that he's a Ferrari Academy driver and the long-term goal is to have him racing for the Ferrari team, the the Scudiera. Like, there's no question that that's the long-term goal here. But the decision to bring in Nikita Mazepan is one that I find not baffling because I get it when you talk about economics. Like, this is a... 
this is a pay driver. Um, his father's extraordinarily wealthy. Um, there's already a, a pretty well-established commercial tie-up between his father's company and the Haas team. I, I think Haas is in a vulnerable position, right? Like this is a team that joined Formula One three or four years ago. Gene Haas sunk a ton of capital into this team. Um, outside of a, a competitive first half of their first campaign, this team hasn't delivered in any meaningful way, despite the fact that they've had really close a really close relationship with Ferrari when it comes comes to integrating Ferrari developed parts into their car. And I think for Gene Haas, you know what? I don't think he has a ton of patience left. So I think this was a move where, hey, look, we get the good of bringing in Mick Schumacher and all of the positive shine that that's going to bring onto the team and all of the positive press and the exposure that's going to come with that. But with Mazepan, you know what? Again, he's he's currently third in the F2 championship. His his results in Formula 3 and Formula 2 are mixed. He's he's not as credentialed the driver as Mick Schumacher or a Latifi or a Stroll or a Russell. Um, but ultimately, he brings a ton of money into this team. Now, what's really troubling about this decision is, one, his father's still tied up with a fairly complicated lawsuit with Lawrence Stroll because he still <laughs> he still he still argues adamantly that he had put in a more competitive bid for Force India back in 2018, and that's now actually going to trial. So there's some ugly ugly friction there. But furthermore, Mazapan has a really checkered past as a human being in in Formula One on and off the track. This is a guy who. And, you know, I I had to dot this down because as much as I want to shine up some of these young drivers and all the great things they do, I think it's worth mentioning that Mazapan has a pretty mixed history. This is a guy who on social media wished COVID a happy birthday. This is a guy who punched um, Callum, um, I think a lot. I always forget how to pronounce his name, but the gentleman who's currently second in the F2 championship, this is a guy who punched him in the face and severely damaged his eye socket and his jaw following, um, a, a little bit of a skirmish during a practice session. Um, this is a guy who has defended racists on social media. This is a guy who's been on social media and has been documented for willing to trade paddock passes for nudes with some of his female fans. This is a guy who threw a party the same day that a number of miners were killed uh, working in one of his father's mines. This is a this is a young driver with some, I would say, maturity issues. And I'm very curious to see how this is going to translate on the track. There's no question he's a capable driver, but more than I would say a Nicholas Latifi or Sergio Perez or a Lance Stroll, I really strongly believe he got this seat not on merit, but on cash. And ultimately, Lance Stroll has proven his doubters wrong. He's he's a guy who has podiums. He possibly could have won a race if not for a uh, issue with his front wing a couple of weeks ago, but he's done some great things. And Nicholas Latifi, it's too early. Uh, Sergio Perez, you mentioned, you know, ultimately people forget that he's very much a pay driver as well with that Telmex capital, but he has time and time again reassured us that he deserves a place on a competitive formula. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mazapan, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm curious to think about, curious to hear your thoughts on this guy. Yeah, it really is interesting that. I mean, there's, there's several things I want to touch on that, uh, that, that you just mentioned, but it, it is interesting. Like uh, the, the one thing that immediately popped into my mind where you were just uh, going over all those uh, different uh, list of names that certainly over the past couple of years, F2's loss has definitely been Formula One's gain. When you see, totally. when you see like totally. drivers like, 
Norris, Stroll, and, and you know, just it just sort of keeps going on your your Albons, your Latifis, and, you, and you're trying to see this, uh, you know, as you kind of see the ebb and flow in F2 over like uh, the you know the past couple of years as these guys kind of like percolate up through the you know through the different uh, formulas into Formula One, you can really see how it uh, you know it, it's really benefiting Formula One now. But I mean, where where's it going to be in a couple of years when these guys to start to you know really get into their prime? They've got a couple of years of Formula One under their belt. And you were just making a good point with Lance Stroll because he comes into Williams at a point where there he goes, I mean, this Williams was like this. And then they just, their performance wise, they, they, they just cratered. cratered. Exactly. That, that is the ideal word to describe uh, where they went uh, sort of post 2017. And then, uh, you know, you know, so he goes there that he goes, uh, ends up at, uh, Force India slash, uh, Racing Point or Racing Point slash Aston Martin. And, you know, he's in a car that's not designed for him in a team that uh, isn't in the greatest financial, you know, uh, waters as it is. I mean, it's going to be a different story now. What with the, you know, his old man's money and the, the, the whole Aston Martin thing. I mean, that's going to be interesting to, to, to watch. I mean, we're starting to see, I mean, despite all the unfortunate things that have happened to Lance this year, you're starting to see some of what he has. So he's going to be an interesting driver to watch. And of course, we're going to be homers to a certain extent for guys like Nick Latifi and Lance (laughs) Stroll, because, you know, that's just what we do, right? But (laughs) it's going to be interesting to watch them. But, uh, you know, certainly that the Haas situation, and I said on the show, like, uh, as as soon as they'd announced that they were not going to bring back uh, K-Mag and Rogro for 2021. And this is a team that that obviously, you know, they've got issues with the money. This is a team that's basically flatlined and, you know, you know, actually, it was more than flatline because they've, they're just not, you know, they're, they're not going anywhere. They're regressing in terms of where they came into the sport in what was it, 2016. But, you know, the, the, the thing is they needed, like I said, they needed a change. They needed a brush of uh, fresh air. They needed to do something in that team. And the easy thing, it's like in any other sport, you know, you're, you're struggling a little bit, you know, fire the coach, <laughs> fire the coach, get a new coach in there and uh, see what, see what, uh, what happens on the field or on the, on the court or whatever. Right. So, I mean, it made sense, you know, from, from the driver's point of view to bring in something. And, and Mick Schumacher, for a number of reasons, makes sense to bring him into Haas. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's a young up-and-coming talent uh, with, with the lineage, like you say. You know, he, he's doing well in the the other formulas that he's raced in. I mean, you got that Ferrari connection. So, so that makes sense. But, you know, the guy that's going to be sitting across from him in the garage now... Yeah, you, you know, it, it's a bit of a head scratcher. And, you know, unfortunately, when, when you bring to light all those unfortunate things that, that, that have happened both on and off the track, you know, especially for a guy for so, you know, for, for such a young age at, uh, you know, for, from where he is, I mean, it's, 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 it's not a great look, unfortunately, in, in that uh, sort of way. But, you know, you, you have to hope that uh, maybe, this is a, a wake up call for him that uh, that he matures and puts his head on his shoulders yeah. properly because any one of those incidents that uh, that uh, that that you just mentioned you're like most people are like dude what are you thinking but you know oh, w- when when you you put all those together it paints a much bigger picture and that you know, the, the picture isn't a very pretty one you know especially when you you know compare it to the guy that uh, he's going to be, be teamed up with uh, for for next year but you know just as talking about this uh, sort of crop of uh, younger drivers. One, one guy that almost gets a little bit 
I don't want to say overlooked, but I, I think it's just from the point of view that I think that we're maybe just used to him by now is is Carlos Sainz because I mean he's been in Formula One for a couple of years now, and I mean he's still not really he's not too much older than these these other guys. So it, that's going to be I mean it's, it's interesting. It's going to be to, to watch like say the the Strolls and the Latifis and the Norrises and guys like that next year, and and, and George Russell. I mean there's so many of these different names. I'm forgetting poor old George there. It's it's going to be what maybe just kind of interesting to watch Carlos, who's maybe just that sort of half a generation older than these uh, than, than some of these other guys. Uh, you know, next year, I mean, there there's just so many different fascinating things. And I want to touch on it too, but uh, you know, we're late to take uh, one final break here on the show. So wh- why don't we just do that now? And we'll come back and we'll pick this up on the other side. So uh, don't go away. We got we got a lot more to talk about here on the podcast. It's always up to speed with Formula One. So we'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. So, where do we pick it up from here? How do we how do we tie this one up nicely? I mean, in such a busy and crazy week that uh, you know there's there still so many uh, things that are um, you know that are really to talk about. I mean, I'm just uh, looking at my notes here. There's uh, one picture that I have of uh, Mick Schumacher, and uh, boy, you can really see the resemblance. Uh, you know, the, the the force is strong with this one. I mean, you can see a lot of his dad in in him and you know that that whole situation uh, with uh, with Michael and the fact that you know he you know horrifically injured himself uh, several years ago you know that you know th- that that's always one that uh, I have such difficulty reconciling you know I mean uh, it's you know this, for 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 a guy that was so successful in everything that he did to you know have such a, a tragic accident and I I was always of the opinion that uh, I always thought that once Michael was done with Formula One regardless I think he would have gone away. I mean, we still would have seen him, but I don't think that uh, that that they would have really been in the in 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 the spotlight as uh, as as much after he left Formula 1 for for good. So I mean, that's what makes his accident all that more tragic, but you know, it's, you know, having said that, I mean, it's exciting to see you know see his son coming into Formula 1 now and uh, you know, it's uh, I I guess you know there there's a lot of metaphors you could do or you could use in this situation, but it, it's going to be really interesting to see how he does uh, with Haas and I mean there is I guess uh, for for them you know just where where they're at maybe it's kind of a, a low risk kind of thing because you know they're they're bringing in some uh, younger and inexperienced uh, drivers but uh, still I mean I guess it's a good way for Mick to get his toes uh, wet in Formula One and you have to hope that uh, that that what they do next year that uh, that maybe that there's going to be a, a bit of a progression because um, I, I mean obviously they got some issues with the car but of course the other issue is that they got a Ferrari engine in the back which isn't uh, helping uh, <laughs> matters much uh, either but uh, it it is interesting too I mean uh, you know Mick Schumacher's uh, e- even said that he's ready to uh, debut in uh, Abu Dhabi next week if uh, that should actually happen uh, because of a uh, Roman Grosjean. And, um, you know, it, again, there, with, with all these things that have been, you know, happening, I mean, he, he's in next, uh, for, for next season, but who knows? Maybe we get a look at uh, Mick Schumacher before this year is up, too. I mean, yeah, yeah, like I say, I mean, 2020 has been weird, but it wouldn't be the weirdest thing we've seen this year. Formula One really has to be looking at this Mick Schumacher piece less as, hey, this could be an exciting on track story, as this is going to be an incredible 
off-track story and what he could do for Formula One from a commercial perspective, from a marketing perspective, can't be understated. And, and I think as long as he's with Haas, like he he in himself is a paid driver simply because he's going to bring so much exposure and so many um, attractive sponsorships to that team. And and you know what I was thinking as you were talking, and I don't want to be purely speculative, but if I'm Carlos Sainz and I'm making the transition to Ferrari and I know that Ferrari's long-term goal is to get Mick Schumacher into a Ferrari, like the pressures on Carlos signs from day one, because Ferrari's already committed long-term to Charles Leclerc. They've <laughs> done it on paper. They've done it financially. They've done it in the press. They've been very clear about the fact that this is a guy we're investing in for the future. All of a sudden for Carlos signs, this is... This is going to make that situation a little bit tougher because he's on the clock right from day one. And if Mick's able to excel in really problematic circumstances with that Haas team, and to your point, Haas isn't going to be competitive next year, but if he can be competitive in spite of the car, all of a sudden, Ferrari's going to be in a position where we could have a driver lineup of Charles Leclerc and Mick Schumacher. And what that could do from a competitiveness perspective and from a commercial sponsorship perspective would be unparalleled. That could put Ferrari back into a position that hasn't been really since Raikkonen was winning titles and winning a title and Schumacher was winning his plethora of titles like all of a sudden Carlos Sainz you know what he's on the clock himself and he (laughs) the poor guy hasn't even sat in a Ferrari racing seat yet and already the clock's on so this year's gonna be exciting and you're right it's crazy too because we know that Pietro Fittipaldi is going to sit in for Grosjean this weekend but he hasn't been confirmed for Abu Dhabi and I think like you said by the day, it's becoming less likely that we're going to see Grosjean back in that car, and I don't think we're going to. But ultimately, if I'm Haas, you know, does it make sense to get one of my two new drivers into that car early, given that both of them are already in that region of the world, right? They're already in Bahrain because they're racing in the Formula 2 championship, which means that they're quarantined, and technically, they could make that short hop over to the UAE and compete in Abu Dhabi. So, the reality is, you know, we don't even know what the, the driver lineup is going to look like next weekend. It, it's <laughs> it's crazy. And it's just super, super exciting. And I never would have imagined that the last two race weekends of the season could have been just so exciting and, and just so unexpected. Well, you know, especially after Istanbul a couple of weeks ago. And uh, once, I mean, it, it was a foregone conclusion Lewis was going to win this championship at some point. But when it officially happens and, and, and it's done and, you know, the, the, the celebration for Lewis Hamilton can be, can, can begin, you kind of think, okay, well, we got three races left. It's like, okay, well, it's, you know, it's kind of like garbage time in the season. I'm just like, well, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it, it's better than the alternative of uh, listening to the endless rounds of bad news that uh, we get bombarded with uh, constantly. I'm like, okay, well, sure, you know, we, we still have three races to go and uh, it, it's it's better than nothing. But I mean, the amount of um, the, the way that it's really flipped on its head <laughs> since the Turkish Grand Prix and all the things that have happened as, uh, you know, for, from Formula One, just from exposure point of view is, uh, I mean, it's got a lot of people talking and invested in these last couple of races just because of all these things that are, are, are going on. But to your point, uh, just about uh, Carlos Sainz, you know, I, I, I keep thinking too that if this doesn't work out for him at uh, Ferrari, you know, he could almost be one of these kind of like, uh, you know, I, I'm not even sure what the word, the, the proper word is. Maybe it's just one of these guys that had never really happened for, you know, with his Toro Rosso and then with the McLaren and then also that shortstop at Renault and stuff like that. And then, I mean, there, there's no doubt he's, he, he's a talented driver, but I mean, I, I keep thinking too, when you were just talking about, uh, okay, well, Haas, like you said, is, 
not going to be competitive next year. But I think that's why it makes it interesting to to, to watch what's going to happen with Mick Schumacher because I, I'm thinking, could we possibly see something with like a, with, with Mick Schumacher, like we saw with uh, Charles Leclerc with his first season at Alpha Salba or Salber Alpha Romeo, whatever they called themselves, a couple of years ago? Could we see that? Could we see maybe Mick Schumacher doing? Things he shouldn't be doing in a car that isn't, you know, the greatest Formula One car. That That's what I'm kind of hoping for. But yeah, I mean, to see him, I mean, clearly they want to funnel him into the Scuderia at some point. Because like you say, I mean, that is Charles's team. But I mean, that that's the moment in time when that be- became crystal clear to the world last year was at Monza. I mean, there, there was that debate throughout the year. Charles is faster than Seb. Charles is going to be the future and stuff like that. But when Seb had that uh, unfortunate uh, little off on the opening lap in the Ascari bend and then clipped Lance coming back onto the track, you know, on the opening lap and then just put himself out of contention. And then you had Charles with, well, okay, well, the, 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 the legality of the, the engine is a bit of a gray area. But that notwithstanding, it was uh, on that day he was faster than the two Mercedes, and despite Bottas and Lewis, you know, tag teaming him throughout that race, he was able to do it. Win on home soil, and I mean, you win in Italy in a Ferrari, you're going to be a rock star. But I mean, that's completely put the uh, the, the the Vettel versus. Uh, Leclerc, that question was put to bed. So, I mean, like you say, I mean, that he's, he was their boy at that point. They committed to him long term. And then it was always going to be, yeah, well, who's going to, you know, is, is Vettel going to sign a new contract? Obviously that never happened. But now, you know, that this whole Schumacher thing at, at Haas really, introduces another element into it. And, and like you say, I mean, it, it is absolutely, it is fascinating and almost frightening to watch that that a guy like Carlos Sainz is already under the gun at Ferrari, and the guy hasn't even put on a pair of red overalls yet. I mean, it, it is absolutely to, in, insane to think that, but it is very much the, the 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 situation and the pressure cooker that this guy is walking into. And you know, there's already some talk that you know he wants to try to get into that Abu Dhabi test, into the Ferrari, and things like that. I mean, you can see why. I mean, he he must be uh, you know if he doesn't feel like there's eyes on you know uh, you know he doesn't have that feeling of uh, you know like um, you know being watched constantly. I think he's he's going to have that feeling uh, you know starting pretty soon because <laughs> it's going to be uh, yeah it's it's going to be a difficult place for Carlos Sainz to be. I think. I couldn't uh, I, I couldn't agree or summarize that more, but it also just speaks to how intense this sport is, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, if you talk about Major League Soccer or the Premiership or the NBA or Major League Baseball, you know, the careers are, are decently long. You know, it, it's not unusual for a player to have a four or five or a seven or a 10 or a 15 year career. In Formula One, if you really look at the average career of these drivers, it's not long. And we talked about Stoffel Van Doren. This is a guy who really had a cup of coffee. And you know what? It wasn't necessarily his fault. It was just circumstance and timing and situation. But you know, you don't get those second opportunities very often in Formula One just because at the end of the day, there's 20 seats. They're highly coveted. And for a lot of these drivers, you know what? They're often competing with pay drivers who bring a really significant, I would say, bundle of capital with them yeah. um, in addition to typically being fairly competitive drivers and again you look at Williams team Williams is always going to lean towards a driver that can bring some degree of capital to the team simply because that's a requirement for them to maintain their operations and maybe they can have one 
really strong academy driver. But yeah, like the opportunities just don't come up that often. And I think for Carlos Sainz, I feel like unless unless Mick has an absolutely phenomenal year in year one with Haas, very much like you said Charles Leclerc did with Sauber Alfa Romeo in 2018, I, I feel like Ferrari's probably going to want to let him nurture or they're going to want him to nurture him a little bit with Haas for maybe a year or two. But if he's showing flashes, uh, I think Carlos is going to be looking over his shoulder right away. And I think the pressure is going to be on him from day one, which is going to make this offseason exciting. It's going to make next season incredibly exciting. And then obviously going into 2022, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that is <laughs> it's hard at not least to, at this though. point. Yeah, like that that's the year we're going to see the new regulations and we're going to see potentially more parity in the sport and we're going to see a cost cap and whether that applies to drivers or not that's not necessarily clear yet at least if there is it will be outside of the concord agreement but yeah the next couple of years are going to be very 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 exciting. Well the other thing too that makes it uh, you know doubly difficult for for Carlos Sainz at this point is that he's uh, going into uh, Ferrari at a point where they're not at their most competitive. And I, I mean, you know, the, you have, uh, you know, like the, the, the brass has come out and they, they've said, you know, we don't really expect to be in a competitive place until 2022 is what, you know, they, they've been quite, uh, you know, open about it. And that kind of makes sense because, you know, we, we've seen, I mean, these cars are basically just, uh, you know, developments on the 2019 cars kind of like stretched out to their absolute max. And you can see, I mean, the car wasn't great last year. It was <laughs> a lot worse this year and it's only going to be you know a development and in going into next year so i mean it's 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 very much a very sort of a, a like a van dorn-esque kind of situation you know you know a, a decent driver in the right place but perhaps at the wrong time so Absolutely. you know it, it's really going to be uh, you know it's going to be interesting to watch and see what to, what what he can do with that but you know just to to your point though just about like the, the the length of careers in formula 1 i mean you you nailed it so well there i mean your guys like your alonsos and your raikkonens i mean they're the bit of the outliers in formula 1 I think sometimes that really sort of colors our you know our, our perceptions a little bit. I mean, for for every one like that, like, like your Kimi Raikkonen or, or Fernando Alonso, that has like a a twenty plus year career in Formula One. How many other guys are there that uh, that that maybe stick around a year or two or something uh, something like that? You know, just uh, not very often. I mean, usually it's for for the smaller teams uh, that uh, that you got to get these guys rolling in and out and. And and stuff like that. So you know, it 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 will be interesting to see, you know, like uh, what what happens to to to, to Carlos Sainz. I don't want to call him poor old Carlos yet because <laughs> we're definitely not there, but certainly he has his uh his work cut out for him. So I don't know, Mark. Uh, what, what do you think? Is, is is are we at the point yet where we can uh, <laughs> strike a line through this, uh, this this week? Is there any anything left to be said? Because oh. you know, we we've sat here for the past hour or so, and uh, you know we've talked about it uh, you know constantly uh, you know off the air between us for the, for the past several days. <laughs> I don't necessarily feel like that 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 here between my ears that uh, that anything. It still doesn't seem linear. It still seems like a bunch of things, and it might be uh, several days still before I get. To get my mind about uh, around what's happened over the past uh, four or five days in Formula One. It's it's very interesting as well that we're going to go into a race weekend this weekend. So it's it's the second of a triple header, uh, the second race in Bahrain, but we're going to be running a 
really what's fundamentally going to be an oval. And I, I, for, for the listeners that might be writing off this weekend as a result, because I think amongst Formula One fans, there's often a really negative perception of oval type racing and it's an attribute of Indy or it's an attribute of NASCAR. I think it's going to make for an incredibly exciting weekend. And don't think for a second that a race like that is easy on the drivers. This is almost flat out racing from the minute the lights go green to the minute they cross the finish line. Like there, there's no heavy braking zones. There's no moment where they can collect their thoughts. It's going to be full out racing for mm-hmm. the 50 or 60 laps. They're going to be sub 60 second laps. It's going to be in crazy. And I think the other thing that's really, really fascinating about this as well is that from a, a driver perspective, they're not used to this type of driving. Like they're not used no. to this type of racing. This is something that's going to be fundamentally new for them. And from a, a simulator perspective, they haven't had the opportunity to do this virtually either. This is going to be a fascinating race weekend. And for all the reasons that we talked about, I can't wait for Friday morning because I can't wait to see what free practice one looks like. Well, absolutely. And the thing is, too, is that uh, they, they keep calling it the oval, but it is not oval in the sense of, say, Talladega or Indianapolis totally. or something totally. like that. It it has uh, the, the long straight that we see at start finish. And then you go into that uh, the, the little dog leg, which famously uh, you know was uh, the, the, the place where Roman Grosjean had his uh, big accident. Then you go down the other straight into turn four. And then where in turn four, you start to turn into the inner part of the uh, of the the track at Bahrain there. This is where you go through a series of kind of flowing corners uh, through turns five, six, seven, and eight. And then once you get through turn eight, there's one, there, there's a couple more turns. I mean, turn eight, you go up into turn nine, it's a fairly short run. And then it's a, it's a very, you know, it's not a very big bend. So that's going to be a very high speed corner. And then you've got a long run down to turns 10 and 11. So between turn nine and 10 is an equal sort of length as you'd see at the start finish. And then you get a pretty sharp turn into turn 10, which is about a 90 degree angle. And then a a very, very short run up to turn 11, which then brings you back to, um, uh, to the start finish. Well, I mean, turn nine is basically where they come out of the infield back onto the, 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 the track that we as we know it but uh, just getting through that you they get that extra run from turn eight which is really going to make it uh, interesting to watch and i mean you know they're, they're talking about sort of like 53 to 55 second laps which is really really quick i mean especially by uh, formula one standards i mean i'm 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 sure that we're going to look at them like oh my god look at the number of laps we're going to be running but i mean you just watch the way that that's going to tick down pretty quickly on sunday uh sunday afternoon it's going to be interesting to watch because I mean especially when you watch some of the shorter uh, uh, tracks on the Formula One circuit say like uh, your Monaco's and uh, you know like your your Red Bull rings and, and, and places like that where you're lapping about a one minute ten or something like that those certainly seem like short laps but when you're you know shortening that lap time by another 15 seconds or so I mean that really is going to be a blink of an eye but the thing is too I mean that that oval or the outer circuit in, uh, at, at Sakir it's not short I, I'm not sure I don't have the stats in front of me. So, I mean, the fact that they're going to be doing this in about, you know, under one minute is really, really, uh, uh, oh, here we go. It's three and a half, uh, three and a half yep. uh, kilometers. So just over two miles in length. So about two and a quarter miles. So there you go. I mean, uh, th- th- it really is going to be fun, especially when you get into that 
uh, that that sort of middle half of the track between uh, turns four to eight, where you get like those bends and some of the tighter corners. So it's uh, it, it's there's going to be plenty of action, and like you say, I mean these cars and these drivers, uh, they're they're not really made or prepared for this uh, sort of uh, configuration or this type of racing, and it's uh, it, it's going to be fun to watch, no doubt, uh, doubt about it. And with that, I, I, I think, I think I, from my point of view, I'm good. I've got nothing left to say. <laughs> and I, I think you've got to the point uh, that, that, that we, we, we've pretty much said everything that we can, although I'm sure we could keep going. But eventually we would just uh, end up uh, like Formula One and just uh, going around in, in, in circles with uh, perhaps maybe uh, less uh, action-packed uh, <laughs> results. But anyways, well, that's it then. I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up there. So uh, thank you all all for downloading and listening and watching to the show on uh, YouTube. Uh, Enjoy the race uh, this weekend. We'll be back as always to wrap it up on Sunday night. And of course, we've still got one more race to go after that. So we're not quite done. We're getting close, but uh, we we still have a couple of races to go. Anyways, if you want to get in touch, best way is to do so on uh, social media, Instagram, Twitter, Uh, look us up, uh, Scuderia F1 Pod, or email if you want to send in some uh, comments or feedback, ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy the race, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.